If we did a gallery that we were, you know, dressed appropriately for the gallery, if we were doing uh, any kind of presentation that it was packaged well together, you know, uh, mm -hmm. either with the photos and the graphic design, you know, I will talk about um, my art designer, um, my art director, rather, uh, Mike C. To the day I die, you know, what I mean, like without him, you know, we wouldn't be able to be executing the, like these high-level concepts where people were just, you know. At the end of the day, sometimes it was just like, you know, five dudes in the room just coming up with this idea together. So it was really important. Packaging and, and presentation is so important because it leads into better preparation. And um, and then people wanted to work with you on, on a level that is way more profound, that way more profound for you and for the brand. You know what I mean? Because brand loyalty is not just, uh, you know, putting on the fly people in the company. It's like, what are we actually output wise? What is this going to look like in the future? And, and, that, and the coach saw that value in us. This is Claim of Stories, a show about leading and emerging BIPOC creatives and how they're able to claim their dream careers. Tell me where you want to go, where you want to be. I can help you claim a seat, get you on your feet. Tell me where you want to go, where you want to be. I can help you claim a seat, yeah. Tell me where you want to go, where you want to be. I can help you claim a seat, get you on your feet. Tell me where you want to go, where you want to be. I can help you claim a seat, yeah. I'm Bima, and on today's show, we talk to Steve Sweatpants Irby, a photographer and co-founder of Street Dreams Mag from New York City. Working with clients like Coach and Nike and taking some of last summer's most iconic photos at Black Lives Matter protest, his work finds the beauty in every man and champions the black and brown people that make up New York. The son of a paralegal and a master electrician, Steve grew up on construction sites and was encouraged to take after his father, joining the family as an electrician. Although the family business wasn't his vibe, Steve didn't stop working, working five day jobs from McDonald's to Sears with no real direction as to what he was working for. He was working to live as opposed to finding a career. In 2008, he worked admin jobs all over New York and had a new influx of money coming in from these desk jobs. He was also able to cop some of his favorite brands and found himself on Hypebeast forums. But when the recession hit, Steve got back to the grind, working more day-to-day -day jobs including REI, but it was when he took a job at GameStop that his life changed forever. From discovering his photography community on Instagram to starting Street Dreams Mag. But let's start from the beginning. Steve shares a story about growing up and spending a lot of time at his grandmother's house. So for me, it was kind of crazy because uh, I was born in uh, East Flatbush. And, uh, you know, I, had, like, I was raised by like my um, both my parents, my mom and my pops. But like we spent a lot of time um, you know, with my grandma and my grandma still lived in the still lived in the bush for a while. So then when I was growing up at first, so, you know, I, all my cousins over there, like, you know, all of my friends and, you know, we would be playing. It's a very typical, like, you know, life before the Internet kind of story where, like, you know, <laughs> we was outside, you know, really outside all day. So um, when we first moved to Queens, I was like around five or six. I was at first I wasn't feeling it. Like I was like, you know, all my family is back, you know, in Brooklyn and I really wanted to be back like, back in Brooklyn. So. It was a, a little transition for me at first to like kind of really get comfortable and cool with everybody. But um, then I ended up meeting like some of my, you know, lifelong friends that I'm still cool with to this day, like uh, Dijon and Demre, or like the people I've been riding with since I've been like 12 years old, like, you know, playing wow. early bird gym and, and Louis yeah. Armstrong uh, out in East Elmhurst. And, you know, I'm Dijon's godfather, I'm the godfather to his daughter now and kind of stuff. So like, and these dudes are not photographers. They're not like, you know, painters or anything like that. These are just you know, solid, trustworthy people that are funny and genuine and, and they put, you know, effort into their lives. So 
you know, Queens yeah. has just taught me to like, Queens has just taught me a lot, a lot about like, you know, re- respecting everything. Cause there's a full spectrum of what everybody can do. Like not everybody has to be, you know, doing this kind of crazy cockamamie all the time. Like, you know, if you just wanted to be like <laughs> a fire nurse that wants to make like, you know, t-shirts and, uh, you know, some cups on the side, like you could do that and be successful. And it made me really appreciate, you know, just all forms of life, you know? So no, I, I love my yeah. queen. I love my queen's people. I love my queen's stories. You know, shout out to Rosedale, Jamaica Queens all day. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but you know, at the same time, it's like, I still always wanted to come back to Brooklyn, you know, uh, because like my family, yeah. like, you know, a lot of it started here. That's where your family was. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Uh, you had mentioned this idea of that uh, pre-internet as a kid. Mm. And so what what does pre-internet for you look like as a kid <laughs> growing up in, in Queens? Like, what are I kinda, you doing? I kind of look at it like we were the last of the Mohicans, you know what I mean? Like, this is like... <laughs> If you ever watch Hey Arnold, that's was that actually was going down like in real time. You know what I mean? And there was mm-hmm. just a lot of uh, the sense of community was always really important. You know what I mean? Like the homies, like the homies, like Dijon had the basketball, you know, the basketball court. You know what I mean? Or the basketball hoop, rather. So you needed three people to pull the hoop out. So like we all get mm-hmm. the block together, we pull the hoop out together, we set the hoop up. You know, we need to get the bricks. So everybody's collecting bricks from different houses now. <laughs> and then by the time we play the game, it's like you know we got our you know it's a full block project now. And then you got other blocks versus other blocks. And like you know we kind of like you know we don't know we didn't know what we were doing at the time, but at the same time like we're not only cultivating community and you know and brotherhood and and all this other dope mm-hmm. stuff that that runs a parallel to what I'm doing today. But like you know we was really just you know, putting the effort, you know, into like hanging out with each other and, you know, playing video games with each other and, you know, just enjoying each other's company. But like, it took a while to kind of find like, you know, the right people that you want to hang out with. But, you know, those are the same people I've been riding with and the same philosophy I've been riding with, you know, to this day, I'm 34 years old now. I still like, you know, feel like I'm setting up the basketball hoop for my homies and queens sometimes. (laughs) Like, you know, that feeling doesn't really change. It doesn't really change, right? It just changes uh, the variable, I guess, you know? Right, right. So, you know, thinking about kind of growing up in that environment and some of the things that were happening there and some of your interests, you know, obviously basketball is one of those interests. I got to ask you because you you grew up in, you know, some of your families from Brooklyn and Mm -hmm. growing up in Queens. Music was obviously a pretty big part of those communities. So I got to ask you, did you have a... Uh, a favorite rapper, whether that's being Jay-Z or Nas when this whole thing is happening? Oh, man. (laughs) So it was tough because, you know, I told you that, like, you know, even though I love Queens, I have a strong Brooklyn loyalty still. So, uh, yeah. you know, it was real problems. You know, we had real we had real <laughs> issues because I clearly picked Jay-Z because he's still to this hmm. day, still one. I don't I don't there's really no debate to me. And I just think he kind of proves it more and more every day. But <laughs> at the time when that first started. You know, friendships were lost. You know, there were there were real. <laughs> these are heavy <laughs> debates. You just these like, are heavy, it's, it's next level <laughs> debates. I mean, like I, I was a, a you know a constant kid in summer school um, in Jamaica high school <laughs> every single year, mm-hmm. and then one of the things we always would debate, no matter what happens, is like who won, who like who won Jay Z or Nas, and then you know. I had, to, I had to fight for Jay-Z for my life out there in Queens, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I have no problem being the one guy to, you know, go to war for somebody. And I was going to war for Jay-Z, yeah. you know. I'm not saying that it was a... I'm not going to say what the room was. I'm just saying I had to do a lot of defending. You just had to do what you had to do, you know? I mean... You know, yeah. you were an honorary member of The Rock. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still waiting for my chain in the mail. I don't know where it is, but I know it's coming. I've been waiting for 15 years. 
Hey, after after this announcement uh, from uh, he made on CNBC about uh, LVMH and and Ace of Spades, maybe there's a bottle. <laughs> man, I take a bottle. I take anything, man. <laughs> take a pair. Well, of socks. man, t- <laughs> tell me about uh, tell me about life at home. You know, like yeah. you know, was your family close at all? And and um, you know, like how did like uh, you ended up like maybe like documenting? I think you started like sort of documenting kind of like your family life. Like, tell mm-hmm. me about how that stuff started to come together. So I've always had a really uh, tight family. I come from a really big, uh, you know, a big nuclear family. Like my mom and my pops have uh, been married for 30, like, I think like 36 years now, something like that, 36, wow. 37 years. And, um, you know, they had me when they were like around like 26, 27. And, uh, you know, we've always been really close, uh, very close with each other. Like my mother is one of six children and my pops is one of five children. So I hmm. have an insane amount of cousins, you know, so we... <laughs> <laughs> so it was either it was either in my grandma's house, like I was saying, like we would chill back and you know, when she used to take care of us and babysit us, or it would be, you know, every Saturday at my house in Queens. You know, my grandma mm-hmm. lived my other grandma lived upstairs with my grandpa. Uh, you know, our house was full it, w- it was just the crib to be at every Saturday. You know, I had the sixty-four. <laughs> you know, it was it was Mario Kart on deck all the time, you know, <laughs> uh barbecues in the backyard and we had a really dope uh, nuclear life and it was like one of those things where it, w- it wasn't necessarily all the time common and I had to kind of you know you know I kind of realized immediately that you know not, not a lot of my friends and you know even like my family mm. members had a nuclear life you know and something mm-hmm. I was really appreciative of you know and uh, and and you know, we've always consummated these moments by taking photos so I mean I've always been obsessed with you know going to like I'm about to date myself again going to like Woolworths or something like that and we will pick up like the Kodak envelopes and then we would go through all the different disposables that we shot and then like you know it would just turn into like to like this little history book of like all the little hood photos of us sitting like on the plastic couch <laughs> you know what I mean and yeah. like uh, yeah. me wearing a loose like tank top playing basketball looking like a maniac or you know me with the chicken pox or like my sister yeah. eating like you know eating the bowl like I don't know why she was eating the bowl in the photo <laughs> These are all like very sharp, like photographic memories that I have in my mm-hmm. head, and uh, uh, like you know, just our, our family being like just together and like and like being one, and 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 understanding like the whole black experience doesn't always have to be so. You know, it doesn't it doesn't have to just sit on either side of the spectrum. It was full of right. balance, and I'm not saying it doesn't it have to perfect. be just one thing. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't have to be one thing, and I'm not saying it was perfect. You know, we have every ups and downs like every other normal family, but. We were together, and that was uh, something that was really important from, uh, important for me growing up. Dope, man. Do you remember what your uh, what your parents did for work? Oh yeah, um, my pops was an electrician, so he was a master's electrician. <laughs> and for a black dude to be a master's electrician in, in New York, especially like in the eighties and nineties, it was he was one out of every hundred. You know what I mean? So it was really wow. rare uh, that he was doing that. And then my mom was uh, a paralegal, so she worked a lot at, like at Wall Street and doing all that kind of stuff. And then she's uh, continued to be a paralegal until like pretty much like the later part of her career. Uh, she was working, you know, always doing something within the law. <laughs> and um, you know, like my, it was really dope to see my pops like not only be an electrician, but he ran his own business. So he had his own business called mm. Ruby Electric. So he did his contracting work. He did his electrical work. So I was like, ever since a young age, I was always exposed to someone, you know, like my pops, especially him, like just working and like doing his thing and being like, he's him making his own money and him <laughs> making his own money, his own decisions. And Did you ever like, be, he was definitely really adamant about telling me all the time. Like, you know, you know, I made 20 bands a day. I was like, I'm 12. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know this? what that means. <laughs> so it was really but he, dope, he probably just wanted you to know he was trying to like mm-hmm. transfer maybe some of that, 
something that you probably wouldn't grasp till you got older. Mm-hmm. The what he was trying to say was that, like, you know, this is like I get to decide what this is versus somebody telling me, exactly. you know, what I'm going to make and how I'm going to take care of my family and whatnot. For for you, did you did you ever go like um, firsthand experience like some of his work and get to like see that? Bruh, since day one, you know, he was always <laughs> very adamant. And, and very consistently bringing me to job sites. Like, I was an electric... Like, my first real technical job was an electrician's helper. Like, I have photos of me chilling with my dad, like, on a construction site, which is me, like, in a diaper and, like, a yellow T-shirt. And he's, like, sweeping <laughs> up <laughs> around me. I'm like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I've always uh, worked with my pops. And, uh, you know, he wanted me to be an electrician. I'm supposed to be an electrician, you know? Mm. And uh, he was always very you know just on my body all the time like man you know you need to be an electrician like you need to take the business and you need to do this so he would wow. you know, always bring me to the you know the work site i mean I, I wired my first crib like by myself when i was like 17 still in high school you know it was i was remotely good at it but i didn't love it as much as he did because he mm-hmm. genuinely loved being an electrician like this man would be mm-hmm. giddy like hitting a copper rod into the ground like i will never forget <laughs> it like I would never. I was not excited to use a hammer to hammer a rod in the ground. Like this thing is was blowing my mind right now. But he was like, "This is what I want to do. Like this, this is, is why I'm here." Wow. So, and so you, you had mentioned like he and I. I, I want to double back on it because you had mentioned that he had like this thing where or expectation where he he wanted you to be an electrician. Like how serious was that? Like was he like, "Yes, I, Steve, I want you to take over the business." He was dead ass. <laughs> there was no other way to cut it. Like it was, it, it was a thing, you know. But at the same time, he was always very. Uh, he just re- was really aware that you know you had to find what you love to do, and he would always preach that to me. Like he would mm-hmm. literally preach to me every single time that like, he could see me be at the job sites and like you know doing the wires, and, and I'm just like just looking out of it. He's like, you know, <laughs> he would start preaching to me about like you know I love to be an electrician, and maybe even if you don't love this, like you need to find what you love to do because. To him, like, this is the coolest thing in the world, you know? So, mm-hmm. but to me, I was more or less like, this is the, and it's, you know, it means to an end, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I love it. I understand, like, the theory of it, but, like, I'm not, bro, like, I'm not going up and down the ladder all day, man. This is, yeah, my this wasn't your thing. Me. It wasn't your passion. <laughs> nah, I'm not passionate about it, but I feel him, you know? But then, the, yeah. then it, 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 he really inspired me to take that journey and uh, kind of explore, like, what do I really want to do for myself? And, like, why am I here? Like, what what am I going to put as much effort and energy into that I actually care about? And, mm. and for him, that was it. Like, he loved building homes. Like, he loved, like, seeing the, uh, uh, you know, the start from a project from start to completion, you know? And then I kind of appreciate the same thing about projects, but, like, I'm building my own kind of house, you know? It's mm-hmm. not a physical one, but, like, it's different. Only, it's a different, it's still, we're still building cribs, you know? But it's just a different mm-hmm. kind of concept. Yeah, so it, 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 essentially you took kind of his way of thinking, right, mm-hmm. into the way he would approach things from a creative standpoint, and you kind of brought it into your own. Now, thinking about that, uh, I think around 2000, you you started to go into high school, mm-hmm. and uh, you went to the same high school as like Stephen A. Smith, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, tell me about this. <laughs> I went to Thomas Edison High School, uh, which is like the way that our high schools are set up is just really interesting. Interesting in that part of Queens. Um, if anybody's, if you're not familiar with it, uh, so Thomas Edison is like a donut. It looks like a legit, like it's shaped like a donut. It's a big circle school, and in front of us was Jamaica High School. And Jamaica High School, I think it's now it's now closed down, but Jamaica mm-hmm. High School was humongous, dude. Like so, you have like this big like school that looked like a college campus. And then you had a school that looked like a donut right behind it. <laughs> and then you have the school down the block, Hillcrest, uh, which was pretty much like an all-girls school. So at 3 o'clock, 
uh, Jamaica Ave, everybody gets out at the same time. It was lit. It was crazy. Like, I mean, it was just biblical battles were going down on the <laughs> Ave of Jamaica. <laughs> you know what I mean? The Avenue of Jamaica, it was going down. Um, but it was, it was like, it was like, still the era. Like, I graduated high school in 2005. So that era was, mm-hmm. uh, G Unit was at its peak. You know what I mean? Like, if you didn't oh, yeah. go to school the next day, if you did not listen to the 50 Cent and Lloyd Banks, <laughs> oh my uh, goodness, on Hot 97 the next day, it was that serious, yeah. you know? Um, and it was just, you know, it was just a really interesting time. It was just really dope. I mean, it was like, the, it was still early internet. And like, I remember even having a MySpace for the first time. And then I remember people mm-hmm. looking over my shoulder in my class like, what are you doing, man? This is weird. I'm like, this is, I'm <laughs> setting up my, my MySpace. My MySpace <laughs> was, page. Oh, oh, I'm learning how to code. <laughs> <laughs> all of that was going down in those years. Like Counter-Strike, Yahoo Pool, uh, MySpace, and G-Unit. You know what I mean? A lot of G-Unit. It's funny that Stephen A. Smith went to that school because, like, that our school was just, we've always just had, like, just uh, a wide array of people that just can articulate, <laughs> articulating, <laughs> articulating debates all day. I mean, sometimes <laughs> it's just full of people that will debate you to the bone about So you feel like y'all just, in. y'all, y'all bred personalities for... <laughs> it's just all of it. Like, you had to be prepared. So you had to be prepared to argue with people from Jamaica, from Hillcrest, you know what I mean? Like, defended your own. Like, we had St. John's behind us. So, like, sometimes you had the St. John's people kind of uh, floating around a little bit. Like, we just, it was a lot going on in that era. But, you know, all of that stuff gave me my personality. And, like, I kind of like my toughness today, you know. That's, uh, mm. if you if you can make it, if you made it out of that era, then you can make it in, in, in any era. You can make it any <laughs> So uh, that school in particular, though, it was like this uh, vocational school, right? So you, you had like a specific like focus. It wasn't just like kind of going through a um, high school curriculum and just trying yeah. to be well-rounded. Like y'all had specific things mm-hmm. that you could choose or interest. And uh, for you, what, what was that? So, yeah, like you were right on the money. It was a technical vocational school. And um, I originally, uh, I played, I was in an orchestra for four years uh, from my, oh, my junior high school. And I wanted to play music in my in high school, but my parents like you know it'd be more lucrative to like you know you know work with computers and blah 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 blah. There's a bunch of people from our church that was going to the high school. It was just like that's when people were getting jumped and stuff back in the day. It was like <laughs> you need to be going to a school where everybody you, that you know people <laughs> that you just, know everybody yeah. that you know everyone, and then you have you can learn a skill that you could you know take with you for the rest of your life. So uh, the the skill that I was trying to acquire was to be into computer repair. So I took computer repair. Um, but then the first day of my uh, shop class, my t- my teacher told me that it was cheaper to buy a new computer. Sounds like, man, like we don't even need to be here. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so he made sure that we did like what we had to do to get out of the class. Yeah. But like we've already knew from day I knew from day one of that class that like I'm not going to be into computers. You know hmm. what I mean? Like it, it pretty much determined everything. It determined took the free. That away. <laughs> it, the fork in the road pretty much opened up at that point. Right. So if you're, you know, you're kind of navigating this space, right? That kind of goes out of the window. You don't really know what's up. Um, and then outside of that, you're you're working with your dad, though. Did you uh, end up picking picking up any other gigs outside of, like, helping him from the electric side? Man, I had so many jobs. I was definitely the dude with all the jobs back <laughs> in the day, you know. I, I, worked at, uh, I worked at Sears. I worked at Express. Uh, hmm. At the time I was working, I was still working with my pops. And I was doing the newspaper route at the same time. So, Jeez, man. So I would wake up like four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning, throw newspapers out the car, go yeah. work with my pops, do some things, and then sometimes go 
uh, to like my strip that exceeds or expresses something like that. So I was, yeah, we're trying to get all this money, man. I was <laughs> that, that, that was my whole goal was like I, I think I need to amass as much jobs as possible, so I need to work as much as possible. So I was working mm. on everything. What were you What were you gonna do with this money? I had no idea. I, I literally like I, there was no goal <laughs> for what to yeah. do with them. It was just like let me acquire this. Like it yeah. just felt like everything in my life was pointing to at that time like you know you just need to work and like and, and working was way more important and and for that kind of stability of uh of i don't know like there's like there's like this kind of safety net that sometimes you would hear in our like you know with within our community of like you just need to work as hard as you can and mm. save all this money but i was so i started to do that but i really didn't understand like why am i working so hard and saving all this money you know yeah or, like where what do i do with it like where, where does, does it, go? it go yeah exactly what happens in my life right mm-hmm. like it's such a it's such an interesting thing that you bring it up because so many of us like we're taught to like work like yeah. just go work right and like take care of like whatever it's a it's an interesting concept but it is um, so you you have a couple of these different gigs right I think one of the gigs you also like worked at like McDonald's at one point too yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of my other first early jobs I definitely worked at McDonald's on uh, I was 15 I worked at the McDonald's if, uh, for any New Yorkers who hear it uh, on Springfield I mean on on Hillside in Springfield uh, so that's like right next to like Martin Van Buren High School and it was it was just like one of those times like my dad was like what are you doing you know I'm like why are you, <laughs> why are you, like you can be fixing these lights you know what I mean but you want to go <laughs> work at McDonald's I, like I, I had to forge my own path and it didn't it didn't last too long but I definitely was the guy in the front like serving the McChickens you know what I mean <laughs> that was me <laughs> what did you what did you take away from from working at McDonald's right because it you know clearly probably wasn't something that worked out but um yeah what was that experience <laughs> It was crazy. I mean, I think the biggest thing that I took away is that, you know, I don't, this is, and it, it didn't really dawn on me at that time, but it was starting to be like one of those early kind of things to eventually make me stop wanting to do it in the first place. But I was like, why am I working for you? I only work with people. And then McDonald's had this situation where they have these social constructs where obviously I love, you know, shout out to McDonald's because I'm going to eat me a Big Mac one of these days, you know what I mean? But, you know, there is definitely these social constructs there that were, put on to me uh, that I didn't that you know that it kind of defeated my purpose of being there because mm-hmm. I you know it goes back to that kind of theory like I'm just trying to work but then mm-hmm. all these other things start to be manipulated into like well we want you to be specifically right here and then like we want you to promote this thing and if you, if you don't do this right even if you feel like you did a great job it was nice to customers all day you still did a bad you still did a bad job and it was mm-hmm. like all these weird kind of things of like but I've been you know trying to you know you know, I guess like boost the company and boost the morale and doing all this kind of stuff. I'm like a 15 year old kid, 14 year old kid working at McDonald's. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you still have like these things that you want to be a good team player. You know, and yeah. you would still want to give like your input and feedback and still, you know, you know, just be cohesive with the team. But like, I started to learn very early that that not everybody was on the same page, and I didn't mm-hmm. want, and then I didn't want to work for anyone. I wanted to work with people, and it just mm-hmm. took me a long time to kind of like really put my foot down with it, but. That was like the beginning of like, I want to work with people. I'd rather, you know, I don't work for anybody. That's no Yeah, you'd that. rather be a partner than having someone just like kind of dictating. You have no input of, of kind of what's happening in that. Um, yeah, exactly. Now take take me to like 2005. Like this is like, you finish up school, um, up high school, and, and you're, I think you're going to Nassau Community College. Is that right? <laughs> 13th yeah. grade. Yeah. <laughs> you said 13th grade. <laughs> <laughs> 
is that like a is that kind of the reference in your community is it like you know it's like it's a loose reference you know and this is kind of like the running joke with all kind of like um but certain like you know just certain kind of situations that you put yourself into like not saying that you know community college isn't a great stepping stone it 100 is you know and i if you can make it if you can make it work for you especially with the intention of it 100 like it's mm-hmm. going to work out for you i didn't have any purpose being there you know mm-hmm. i was just being there because my parents told me to be there you know gotcha. but i didn't like you know it was like one of those things like i was i wanted to be a juvenile counselor but at mm-hmm. the same time it's like I can go about this another way. And then that's what I went to college for in the first place. I would, I tried to be a juvenile counselor. And I'm like, man, like, first off, I hate math, dude. Like, what does math have to do anything <laughs> with trying to help kids out? Like, this doesn't right. make any sense. Like, <laughs> like, so I just try, I try to, you know, slowly put my effort into other places. But at the same time, you know, I got mugged when I was 18. And mm. um, it just kind of really set me back for a bit. Tell me about that, because I, I think that was like when you were, I think you were like working at Sears or something like mm-hmm. that at the time, and you were like, you decided to walk home or something like that. Like, yeah. what, like, break that down. What, what was going on, man? So that was, um, I was working at, um, you know, I was working still, I was still working at, a, yeah, actually Sears and Express, and I was, it was close enough, I worked, I worked at Green Acres Mall, and was close enough that I would be able to walk home from work. Um, and then mm-hmm. I did it multiple times and I'm like, you know, we, we walked to the movie theaters from my house. Like, you know, this is not like a thing that this is like a once in a time thing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm going to decide to walk today. Like it's, it was really common from people in Rosedale to walk the green. Yeah. It's just an everyday thing. It's an everyday thing. So I was being really cheap that night because I would never forget that someone asked me like, oh, do you want to take a, you know, one of the black cars back with me? Like, you know, to go back home. Like the black cars are like our livery cabs. I'm like, I'm straight. You know, I'll just walk. You know, I got my iPod. I'd have my U2 edition iPod, the black and red joint. <laughs> you know, I, uh, what, what album was I listening? I will never forget. I was listening to uh, Kanye West. I'm like, I'm on my way home, uh, playing by Common. And then, you know, I was vibing. You yeah. Know, I had my, you know, I was in my light skin phase. I was feeling swagged out. I had my white shirt on, you know what I mean? Collar pop, you know, my little black slacks. I was walking with my bag of, of just gear. I had no money. I had $2 in the Metro card, but like, you know, I felt good. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. I felt good. And uh, I felt like, you know, I saw, I noticed like some dudes like walking behind me and I, you know, I didn't, didn't want to really make it hot or like, you know, just bring too much attention to this, this situation. So I just kept trying to, you know, keep on walking down the middle of the street. And then, uh, yeah, the dude, some dude pop, like, hopped out of a bush literally like as soon as I got, like walked past like one of these you know, pieces like, you know, Queens is full of like, you know, like we got cribs in Queens, like there's grass and like, especially in Jamaica, Queens, like it's, it's way more suburban than you would think. But like, mm. it's just, it's the hood things going down still like in these areas. So, right. You know, this dude basically hopped out of a bush and like hit me with a sock full of rocks in the back of my head. And, uh, wow. and then they hit me, uh, then they hit me on, on my face and then they knocked me down to the floor and, um, uh, they hit me three, three, uh, like three, four times on my face, maybe a little bit more. Honestly, I can't remember. Um, I eventually like got, broke away from them and all that stuff like that, and I had to go to the hospital. Um, but if it wasn't for my neighbors um, up the block to like really like, uh, you know, just be be some good Samaritans to help me see like they see me like you know bleeding all on my face and everything like that. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what would have happened. I was like the doctors are saying that it was three inches away from my temple, or I would have been dead. You know what I mean? It was how that's how Jeez, close man. it was. So I had to get three metal plates in my face. Uh, my lip to this day is still like partially on my top my top right lip. And uh, nah, it was crazy. Like I, I had to, I was really out of commission. And uh, jeez. Nah. And so this, did you, did you happen to know who these cats were at all? No idea. 
No idea. No idea. It's just mm-hmm. like a random incident that just walking home. I got booked. Uh, you know, it, just, it, it, happens to, it happens to everyone out here at least once. I mean, not, yeah. to, not to promote it, but like it's, uh, yeah, it, and it definitely happens. That, uh, you know, it, just, it was just definitely unfortunate, but I was just happy that I have like, you know, my mom and my pops are mm-hmm. like pretty much on speed dial. That I was able to, you know, call them and being able to, like, to reach out to them so they could be there for me and all that stuff. But right. that was like when I was 18, like still in college. And I, I didn't want to go back to college after that. I was like, I'm just pretty much done. Yeah. I mean, how long was like the healing process? Like, it took a minute. And like, honestly, like maybe close to a year because it was so much swelling. Um, when you get three metal plates in your face, you had to like, it was, it was still swollen, you know. Uh, so it mm-hmm. took a while for it to like kind of like go down and stuff. And I was still trying to work, you know. I was, <laughs> so I was still, <laughs> I would have like <laughs> my eye all lumped up, but I would be in the spot still, you know. I was definitely yeah. one of those dudes. Like, like I ain't gonna stop me. Um, my goodness. But, I, I, but it, it took a, it took a long time to like kind of, uh, it was you know just you know if it wasn't for my family, I wouldn't have been able to you know recuperate as fast. Like you know, my family was just definitely was the full spectrum of of healing and caring from you know being attentive to my needs to like. Making fun of me, like, man, you look crazy right now. <laughs> I need <laughs> making I need, light of it, right? I, I Make you like not it. take it so serious. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, um, two thousand eight happens, and it's a recession. And so, what does that do to your your job prospects? So that was crazy for me because in two thousand eight, like you said, the the recession happened. I mean, I finally like started to get back into myself, like you know, back to like feeling confident about myself. I uh, got a temp job at the time at a. Uh, like uh, it was called like People Finders Plus or something like that. So I worked at a temp agency, and basically they will always put me in like in all like these you know administrative like office jobs. So you know mm-hmm. I went from like you know you know working at like a Sears and Express to like you know you know recuperating a little bit to like working in the city. So I was like, this is not that yeah. bad, you know. What I mean, like I, even <laughs> though I got you know I got mugged and got my face looking like Kanye West and through the wire. I'm mm. still here, you know what I mean? Like, I'm mm-hmm. I, I making a, you know, I, I understand how to be, uh, you know, social in, in environments and still, like, you know, be productive in that space and, like, you know, in the office space. So, mm-hmm. um, I were at the, I did a millions of temp jobs, you know what I mean? Like, I did, I've worked at Bloomberg, I've worked at Fox News, I've worked at Nickelodeon, I've worked at Sheesh. MTV, I've worked at BET, you know what I mean? Like, I've worked at all of them. And, um, they usually be like some, some, sometimes they would be really good jobs and other times they'd be monotonous mm-hmm. ones. Like, I would be the guy licking envelopes for six hours in the office. Oh <laughs> you get paper cuts on my tongue, paws, you know. Um, yeah, I definitely did that. But then I also like worked at like the MLB office and making photocopies all day, you know. <laughs> Uh, and then I worked at Bloomberg and I was working in accounts payable and I had no mm-hmm. business of being in that job but like you it know accounts <laughs> but I was you know pretty good at it you know what I mean like yeah. uh, accounts receivable rather sorry um, and um, yeah so then 2008 happens and the recession happens and the, all those jobs that I was ha- getting they all evaporated mm-hmm. you know what I mean like everybody had to have a college degree and clearly I didn't get the college degree because you know I got my face mm-hmm. beaten so it kind of mm-hmm. had to reset my whole kind of you know, my hustle you know what I mean like all these this whole lucrative life that I was kind of like, I want to say uh, not grateful for, but I wasn't, I started to quickly realize that like, I'm really not into this as much as, mm. there's no different from working at McDonald's for me at this point. It felt like the same kind of thing that I'm working same for somebody thing. and I'm not working with people. You know what I mean? Hmm. Even though it, I can, you know, I was getting into the hypebeast message boards around the same time. So I was getting into the forums, I'm, you know, 
buying different kind of gear and stuff like that. Oh, they know yeah. That, that like, money's coming in and out buying, quick. <laughs> as soon as I get that, I'll mine some Visvums immediately. Spend all my money. <laughs> you know what I mean? On some yeah. Visvums. Uh, and I definitely wore, I wore them bad boys. I still got them today. I still got them in the back somewhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that was the time where, like, you know, the, the, all those opportunities kind of just evaporated because of the, you know, the recession. So... I had to go back to the drawing board again. And uh, and so what was, uh, you know, as you think about that and you're like, okay, so the temp opportunities are out of the window. What's what's the opportunity? What's next for you? Because I'm sure, you know, you have kind of this this these voices in your head from your parents of those expectations as well. And just sitting still probably isn't really an option. Yeah, that, that, that wasn't going down. And um, what I had to figure out was like, you know, like let me tap back in with my pops and figure out like, even if I don't want to be an electrician, there might be something that was easy for me just to make a lot of money. And so I started being a custodian, you know, <laughs> like, mm. so I was legit a custodian for about 11 months, you know what I mean? And I worked at like the schools uh, right by the Brevard houses. And um, yeah, I was out there, you know, painting, sweeping floors, mopping. I have horror stories of kids that were lactose tolerant and they gave these dudes like a mayonnaise sandwich and I had to clean the bathroom after. So I cleaned the bathroom, you know, oh. TMI situation. At the, yeah, you could just... Just imagine, I had to clean a bathroom from a kid who got a mayonnaise sandwich and he was lactose tolerant. That was me, like, oh, looking like bro. me in Chernobyl, you know what I'm saying? Like a hazmat suit, <laughs> you know? I was pretty much <laughs> laughing because it was so crazy. I was like, this is ridiculous. What am yeah. I doing here? <laughs> yeah, like it yeah. really, like, it really puts into perspective, like, yeah, I do not want to be doing this. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> I, I was like, man, y'all, y'all, y'all bugging. <laughs> That's pretty much man. the only thing. And I'm bugging myself, you know what I mean? Like, putting myself in that situation. But then I got fired from that job too. You know what I mean? So, like, all those situations, like, every situation I've always think that I would get, like, something that was easy, you know, it was mm-hmm. never easy. So, I like, I would quickly start to realize more and more that I need to put effort into my own life if I want real results. Like, all this easy stuff isn't cutting it. Isn't cutting it. And so, when you start thinking down that that path, where, where does it lead you to? You know, it still took time, though. You know, it still took a lot of time. And, uh, like, one of the, the last two real jobs I had was working at GameStop and working at REI. But hmm. both both those jobs, I mean, I worked at GameStop pretty much longer than at any worked worked at any other job. Probably being a photographer, honestly, like working <laughs> with my pops, and then being a photographer in GameStop is like my longest tenure <laughs> job, longest <laughs> in my life. And uh, that was my college. You know what I mean? Like uh, working at the GameStop on 34th Street and 14th Street was one of the craziest but you know full spectrum experiences of understanding like uh human sociology and like, my own kind of like you know ideology and you know and just what was going on in the world at that time you know uh when i was working at gamestop or 14th street um not only like i got to work on the launch of gears of war 3 which was hilarious we had like hot 97 there we had people like <laughs> catching dubs and GameStop. oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> but then it was also uh, when Trayvon Martin got killed. And I saw oh, wow. the streets filled to capacity. Uh, and I wasn't even taking photos in it, but I was just, I was there at, you know, at, uh, during the protest then and, and understanding, yeah. uh, you know, just even to, even talking about right now, it still gives me goosebumps. So just even visualizing how many people were in the street. Like we had a lot of people in the streets during like the, all the civil unrest now. Mm-hmm. It was back then, it was, it was. It was biblical. I can't even understand. I can't even really articulate how crazy it was, how many people were out there that was upset. So it was just a lot. You know, it was uh, the full experience, like I was saying. Like, I, right. I, I didn't get no stocks in GameStop, but I definitely got a lot of experience. Got a lot of experience. 
I think one thing that was also interesting about your time at GameStop is uh, you you really started to kind of lean into more of the creative side mm-hmm. during during that, right? Yeah. Um, and I think I think you you started to to get into photography. Yeah. Then, yeah. Yeah. That's like, tell me uh, what was like that kickoff point, that jump off point for you. That was crazy because that was uh, it was uh, it was really crazy. I mean, I mean the uh, because this was like after I, I lost the job as a custodian. Then like I remember my mom was like, "You need to find a job that of things that you like to do." You know what I mean? Like, mm. what do you like? And I was like, well, "You know, I like video games." So like, <laughs> I mean, I should work at GameStop, right? Right. And she's like, "I don't think that's what I was telling you, but <laughs> but like, you know, whatever you're going to make it work for yourself, make it work for yourself." Because like, I think the biggest thing is to you know. Being liking something first is the first step. You know, it's kind of mm-hmm. hard to even you know like something. You know, and then for me, like video games was a, a very crucial part of my whole life. You know what I mean? Ever since I've been a little kid, I've always been like I, re- I have very vivid memories of playing like Mario on nineteen, like, the, the OG Mario on, on Nintendo. Like you know, I I played the Atari, I played ColecoVision, like I played Pitfall. You know what I mean? So I understand, you know, you know the whole history of that. So like it just made sense for me to work at GameStop. Um, mm-hmm. And then working at GameStop, even though I, I couldn't stand that job because it was terrible and people were, you know, all the different kind of social constructs that I hated about every single job was amplified in that situation. But that was the first time that I was working around things that I actually love. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I still get to talk about video games, even though I didn't, I hated management. <laughs> like, mm-hmm, I could talk about mm-hmm. video games to other, like, a customer then like, that we actually probably, you know, we would connect with and, you know, and, and still be, and get, have something that was past like just just like a transaction it was something that was deeper like you know we connected on final fantasy like you know we connected right. on i love a luigi's mansion or something like that like you <laughs> connect on something that was so minute but at the same time it was it's a different level of different of emotional attachment that you can share with somebody that's past video games you know right um right even though that is the medium that we're talking about so um one of the customers that came into the 14th street uh, 14th street i worked at the one at union square Mm-hmm. So one of the customers that came in there one time, uh, she had like Instagram and she was telling me about like, I know, oh, you know, I've been using this app, Instagram, blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, you just try to tell people, yeah, I know about that. But I had no idea what it <laughs> yeah, was. Yeah, no idea. <laughs> Do you know what year this was? Like how, like how long ago was this? This had to be 2011. Okay. So this is new. This is when Instagram is like This is like brand, brand new. You know what I mean? Okay. Brand, brand new. Okay. And I was still living back in my parents' home. Like I didn't have, uh, this is. I was going back and forth between uh, apartments at the time. I, I the apartment I lived in before was like in Crown Heights, and mm-hmm. uh, I had to move back home. But that, I had that apartment when I was a custodian. Like, you know, that was like I was making good money and all that stuff like that. But after I lost the job as a custodian, I was like, man, I need to go back to my parents' crib. So I went yeah. back to Rosedale again, and I hated it. But at the same time, like that was a really big transitional point for me in my life, and um, I had to get a job. My parents were like, you're not gonna just move back home and not get a job, you know? So. <laughs> I had to go back to the city to get a job, basically, and work, start working at this game stuff. So, you know, that would have to be, like, around, like, the 2011 time. I was just about, like, 25, 24. Yeah. Um, okay. And then the really kind of stumbling upon, like, this app. And uh, mm-hmm. I didn't have an iPhone at the time either because, you know, working at GameStop, you're poor. You know what I mean? I had no money. <laughs> um, at the other phone I had at the time before that was a Palm Centro. You know what I mean? So oh, I wow. Have, so yeah. I didn't, have, I didn't have... iPhone was a, a, a BBM. You know what I mean? Like, I have a little Blackberry, mm-hmm. but like I lost that in the snow. So I didn't have no phone. You know what I mean? Uh, so I had to beg my parents to get a family plan. Like, I didn't have no money. I was like, I, I need to get on this family plan because now, like, yeah. I hear about this app, Instagram... I can't use this on my mom's iPad all day because she's mad. No. Like I need, I get, <laughs> I need to get my own phone. But you yeah. know, I begged my parents. That was like the last thing they really gave me. Like, <laughs> it was like I'm gonna get was you that, in the family like, plan to get you the interest. 
what was it about uh, what was it about Instagram? Like what what did you like about the app at the time that you discovered it? It was crazy to me because it was uh, one of the things I love about video games is like they're completely immersive. You know what I mean? Like it's like escapism one on one. And at the same time with Instagram, like not only was like it was escapism because you can go fall in love with these different kind of photos and like you just get lost in it for hours. But like the accessibility mm-hmm. of it, you know, mm-hmm. it was never. It just seemed impossible to take photos sometimes if you, uh, besides playing Pokemon Snap, you know what I mean, or, or getting <laughs> off a of fit, you know. Uh, I was a big part, of, I was a big part of like the Hypebeast message boards back in like the 2000, like late 2000s and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So the only other time to get a good camera was to get off a good fit. <laughs> you know, that was pretty much it. But <laughs> that was it. That was it. So this it, gave you, this gave you that reason to maybe sort of engage a little bit deeper. Right? Exactly, exactly. And just being able to fall into different rabbit holes, like for the first time, like the early, like, even like going into the early hashtags of like the J like the JJ community stuff like like I, I was you know searching that stuff for hours when I was like you know first getting into <laughs> getting into photography and stuff like that. So when my my parents finally blessed me with the family plan, it was like one of the one of the most essential family plans of all time because uh, mm. it made me it allowed it allowed me to surf the internet and surf mm-hmm. Instagram and like take my time to figure out just like kind of like what was going on within that world. When we come back in just a moment, Steve taps into his creative side and starts to develop a passion for photography. Hey everyone, the Claim of Stories podcast is supported by Converse. If you're a fan of Chuck 70s like we are, be sure to visit Converse.com and pick up a new pair. Also, we wanted to share a little behind the scenes with you about the recording of the show. Each week, we produce new episodes from our new studio in Portland, Oregon. As we've grown, we wanted a space inspired by our love of mid-century modern design. We were able to achieve this with the help of our friends at The Good Mod and PDX Original. Hey, it's Bima. Welcome back to Claim of Stories. So Steve started to become obsessed with Instagram and is spending a lot of time learning about the photography community on the app. One thing growing up in New York, like you never want to be a poser. That's like the biggest thing <laughs> of, of all time. Like if you actually want to be into something, like you never want to be the guy wearing a band t-shirt and you don't listen to the band. But over here, that's mm. like sacrilegious, you know. And it's the mm. same thing about like getting into like photography and stuff like that. Like one of the main reasons why I was kind of you know hesitant before is because I couldn't buy a camera. It was just so, it was just so expensive to me that like mm-hmm. I didn't want to fake the funk and like you know. You know, it, it, just, it was just too much. It's like I'd rather just right. get you know get something that was accessible for me. So when I first saw, you know falling in love with uh, Instagram and all that stuff like that, I immediately uh, started to be like, I don't want to be a poser. You know what I mean? Like, well, how can I you know solidify my education process? And uh, I started going to Amazon. And I found like on Amazon, you find crazy on there. You know what I mean? Like I found like uh, a, <laughs> you like finding time, deals and stuff. Like I found a I found a deal for uh, a Canon Rebel XSN for like. 15 bucks at the time, you know, and I bought a 40 millimeter, 40 millimeter pancake lens. That was like maybe like a hundred something, like maybe 140 to bucks. But then yeah. that was like, with that $200, I made it work, you know, with uh, my mm-hmm. iPhone setup and my little film camera, set, uh, film camera setup at the time. So that was my real introduction. So I would shoot like, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, you know, go to YouTube all the time. I would just literally go outside. I would buy some film and like, just see mm-hmm. what happens. You know what I mean? Like, I would just take <laughs> photos and, and, then, and then just like, you know, it was just way more, that carefree kind of aspect of me learning is, is really essential because I don't put myself in the box and have these level of expectations like I'm doing something wrong. Like, I don't know what the right, hell. Right, you don't have this you know? pressure. You don't have this pressure of like, I need to be, it has to look like this or it's not good at all. Like, you're kind of like real life, in the moment, learning yeah. as you go, you know, at your own pace without this pressure. 
Yeah, that that kind of the the pressure is like this this game of validation that I don't play. Like I don't need mm-hmm. to be validated by anyone. I just want to make sure that I feel comfortable with it. If I feel mm-hmm. comfortable enough to share it, then that then 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 that's another level. You know what I mean? And then yep. that's what I was really just trying to explore first with like you know, like you know, not only my iPhone photography, but like just the a lot of my film work. You know, a lot of it was just a game of trial and error. And like, do I? Do I feel like I'm putting the right level of intention in the photos that I want to shoot in the first place? Or, or am I just shooting random photos because I've seen some dude on the internet shoot some photos like that? Like, I, I wanted to really understand, like, what I wanted to do with it. Right. And I think one thing that's interesting about uh, Instagram and the photography community is there is a community mm-hmm. on that platform. Did you find that you would, like, connect with some of these folks and actually go go shoot with them as well? Or were you kind of more so just, like, kind of want to do your own thing? You know, I... um. I have like I have experience with like linking with people on the internet, just from like all like the hypebeast message board days. So I was kind of I was always like accustomed to it, but it was always, you know, just trying to find like the right people to vibe with. And, you know, hmm. uh, the, one of the reasons why I started linking up with everybody from the hypebeast message boards like back in 08 was because you know we were a bunch of dudes who was actually born and raised from New York who were black black and Spanish uh, dudes who um, was really into the gear. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it, that's why we a lot of us are still cool to this day because you know. We have it was a common thread of mm-hmm. you know even if we want to link with each other in the first place like you had to go through like a screening process of like are <laughs> yeah. you are you valid <laughs> you know what I mean right right and, and it was it's very similar to uh, you know the early Instagram communities if, if, if it wasn't for Illich Peters Illich Peters is the re- main reason why I even you know started linking up for photo walks or he was the first person to tell me to come outside for a photo walk and the really reason why I listened to him is because I picked up that he was a Dominican dude from the Bronx so like I know that yeah. he was but he he checked his check and balance his ch- the check, check and balance for him yeah. <laughs> all, it all was there you know what I mean so like even if um, the first time I tried to meet up, meet up with him, he was even there. Like he, <laughs> but this, like, <laughs> my, my, I met up with him the second time, and I was like, "Oh yeah, no, this is cool." Like I, I, I understand, you know what I mean? Like and that it kind of opened up like this whole kind of Pandora's box of me meeting, you know, Silva. I pretty much like met Elidge Peters first, and then I met Silva maybe like the next week after that. Um, yeah, and Silva being Jose Silva, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Um, and so you're 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 going on these walks, and like, what type of um, as you're growing into this community and you're learning more about photography, what uh, what does your style start to become? Like, are you taking portraits or are you like product or are you like just out capturing lifestyle? Like, what is like, what's your thing? I, I've always been a mixed bag, you know. I I think that if when it's all said and done, I think that uh, people would probably say that I would gravitate towards uh, portraiture uh, photography the most. But I I mm. really like. Sounds so sappy, but I really just like storytelling. Like, I want to tell a full story. Like, it's no different from me building a complete house. Like, we need the wiring, we need the plumbing, we need the carpentry. It's the same way that I'm, that I've always been kind of developing like my photography. So it's always hard to kind of say, like, I'd, even back then, I, I would take the landscape photo or like the cityscape photo, but then, then the portrait photo would be right after that. And then it'd be like a random atmospheric kind of, you know, storytelling developing moments. And I, I was playing a lot with, you know, colors, uh, like color grading and like the warm. Mm-hmm. I, I loved a lot of like warm color palettes a lot earlier. And, um, but it also, I love the uh, stark black and white, like high contrast kind of stuff, uh, as well, too. So it was a lot of just exploration and trial and error. And, and, uh, and then like trying to figure out, you know, what kind of style I have. And like, and, and to this day, I really can't say like, you know, this is like, I'm into portrait photography. It's like really right. like, the full story is just always so important to me like and i don't like to 
leave anything out, you know. So that's mm-hmm. the best way I can kind of express, you know, kind of describe it. And that that was the yeah. exploration part, especially for the a lot of my early stuff uh, that I've been shooting. Man, it's um, it's so cool to kind of see your journey too, because like what you were just describing, like if you scroll back, like you can kind of see some of these like the different eras of Steve, if you will. Yeah, uh, it, it's really it's really cool to see. Tell me, um, I think like around 2013, like this is actually it's crazy because it's not like too far of a stretch from when you started, but you got like this opportunity to work with Coach, mm. like the luxury brand Coach. How does how's that happen? <laughs> Honestly, I still don't even know how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I think it's really important, uh, even like one way that I always looked at the Internet is I look at it like the new age first impression, you know, and then I've always been very, I mean, even like setting up this call, you know what I mean? Like I was cleaning that table like over and over again to make sure like I don't want no crumbs on the table, you know, like fixing the little my grandpa chair to make sure that like, you don't see how ashy it is and putting the, the blanket over it. You know what I mean? There is a level of art direction and curation like that has mm. always been paramount to me. Like, whether it's me chilling in the crib, like, I want to make sure that, like, you know, I'm I'm still flying in the crib sometimes, you know what I mean? I'm not yeah. saying it's all the time, but the other times it really matters, you know what I mean? So that same right. kind of cadence goes into the work, you know? If, if Instagram is a place where you won't know me from a hole in the wall, but if you go into my page and you can kind of feel the energy of who I am, that, that speaks volumes. And I think mm-hmm. uh, Coach was one of the first companies that kind of... Uh, you know, saw all the uh, the different energy that we were putting into, like you know, men's fashion, and uh, also like mm-hmm. not being pretentious about it. Uh, the obviously the photography in the art world, like you know, being very aware and cognizant of the, the full spectrum of the contemporaries, but also the OGs that we want to show love to. So mm-hmm. they they gravitated towards that really early, and then uh, it, it was kind of crazy uh, because it feels like you're off the radar for so much, but you don't know who's watching you. You don't know who's watching, right? Because sometimes know. a lot of, especially on Instagram, you might get these followers, but it doesn't, it's not always the script, right? It's mm. before bios, like 2013, like the bios weren't being leveraged like the way people leverage them today. So you wouldn't know necessarily if somebody worked at Coach was following you along your journey, right? No, not at all. I mean, that's not the, something that you don't, I didn't set that in mind. The goal in mind wasn't to be like, oh yeah, like the first time we want to work with somebody, let's work with coach. You know, I just made sure. <laughs> I just we just made sure individually and collectively that we had our type. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. uh, made sure that you know everything. Every, if we did a gallery, that we were you know dressed appropriately for the gallery. If we were doing uh, any kind of presentation, that it was packaged well together. You know. Uh, mm-hmm either with the photos and the graphic designs. You know, I will talk about um, my art designer, um, my art director, rather, uh, Mike C, to the day I die. You know what I mean? Like, without him, you know, we wouldn't be able to be executing, the, like, these high-level concepts where people were just, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes it was just, like, you know, five dudes in the room just coming up with this <laughs> idea together. So it, it was really important. Packaging and, and presentation is so important because it leads into better preparation and, um, and then people wanted to work with you on, on a level that is way more profound that way more profound for you and for the brand. You know what I mean? Because brand loyalty is not just, uh, you know, putting on the fly people in the company. It's like, what are we actually output wise? What is this going to look like in the future? And, and, that, and Coach saw that value in us. So we was able to execute a lot, not only just uh, working with them in, in London, but also being able to have the output of doing something in Kinfolk, you know, RIP to Kinfolk now, because... We was able to do a gallery gallery in Kenfolk, and Kenfolk is not even here anymore. But we was able to do something that was legendary and timeless with a company that they probably just suspected that we, we, we might just get some photos. You know, it's always yeah, you might more, just get a little bit. You're like, <laughs> nah, nah. We're trying to deliver, you know, a, a spectrum of things. I wanted to ask you, you, you're 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 saying we, 
Is there a collective of folks at that point that you had started to work with and, and maybe start to even place a name around? Yeah. So by that time, when we was working with Coach, we uh, maybe about a year or so uh, prior to that, we, myself and my two business partners in uh, Vancouver, we started the company Street Dreams Magazine. And hmm. the only way that I started Street Dreams Magazine in the first place was because of uh, my barber, honestly. So it's always cool to be like the real Your barber? Hey, wait. Your barber. <laughs> Tell me about this, man. <laughs> <laughs> Rule of thumb is always be cool with your barber, number one. You know, if you have a good barber, never leave their side. <laughs> uh, and for me, uh, that's uh, like my uncle and like and my barber life coach is AJ. And uh, AJ mm. was always like, he was like the first dude in this, at, like around Brooklyn and Queens. And like to really like start doing like these multimedia spaces where he would have a barber shop. He would be selling thrift clothes. He would be having like a little photo studio in the back. He would have, you know, AJ was... You know, he was getting shaken. Like this is like 2011, yeah, he was 2010. Doing it. He was doing it big, and he's uh, he was like the precursor to a lot of these dudes being able to have like a blind barber shop and all of this stuff. Like mm-hmm. AJ's been doing that for for years. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so it was, um, you know, it was really dope to like when I when I didn't have any money and like and especially when I was like super broke and sleeping on my own couch kind of thing. Like I would sweep mm-hmm. hair at AJ's barbershop so I could get money. Like you know, and he would like you know make sure I was fed like. Like it was, it goes to a different level of it, you know, looking out for me. Um, so yeah. I take his, I take his word very seriously when he tells me, especially like, you know, black people and getting that haircut, like, we, we, it's a very sacred thing for us, you know. And then oh, I don't yeah. have, but I don't have a black barber. AJ is Filipino, so me having a Filipino barber in the first place was like, man, this is some crazy you, doing things out of the norm at <laughs> first. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I'd rather have nobody cut my hair though. Uh, shout out to all my Filipino people all day. Uh, and uh, <laughs> AJ, uh, AJ was uh, telling me that I'm. That basically somebody wanted to meet me, uh, based on all the things I've been doing on Instagram, and they've been kind of like picking up my words, you know, picking up the work. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, you know, sure, I've done to meet with anyone. And when I ended up to link with one of the partners for Street Dreams, that we pretty much came up with the whole concept of everything we wanted to do with the magazine within like the like the first twenty four hours. So the first meeting, yeah, and that's you know that, that's so meeting. crazy, right? Because you hear these stories about like co founders and how like businesses and and, and creative efforts start and. You know, you hear some stories where it's like, oh, yeah, I searched forever. <laughs> to, to I've been looking the right for it. Days. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's always so, hard wait, to kind so of really, tell, yeah. What are you going to say? Tell me about, like, how did, like, what was it about, the, the, I guess, the connection between the two of you that you basically go through this first meeting? You're like, yeah, I think we're going we're gonna to create this thing. I think it, <laughs> it goes a lot back to, like, you know, coming from a big family and understanding like you know it understanding it takes like you know a lot of people enabled to do one really dope thing sometimes and I've always been really cognizant and aware of that and you know and honestly being able to uh start something of my own it was everything that my pops has always been really adamant about since like everything like he's been teaching me this mm-hmm. since I've been like you know, a little kid in the womb kind of thing. Like, you know, you need to, yeah. you need your own business. You know what I mean? You're not making no bread. <laughs> but like all that kind of stuff, like, it's not even like money, not even financially, but like spiritually, like you're not, you know, you're not being fulfilled. You know what I mean? Like with what you love mm-hmm. to do. So, um, you know, honestly, if, if, if Mike C is a really important part, uh, part of the whole puzzle of, of everything that we do with Street Dreams because him as an art director is something that, especially from I mean, all three of us uh, working together, 
it's just such an essential part that you don't understand like how important it is to not just have a bunch of photographers around you all the time you know right. working with the photographer and the art director is like it feels like sometimes it feels like we like Shaq and Kobe you know what I mean like it, it, <laughs> it, it, it's so and it's so in sync that the smallest things don't seem possible until you work with someone who can make it easier so being able to do that with uh with him it was like hey, i just wanted to complete something for the first time and and then once you complete the first thing it became an addiction that um that i feel like i wanted everyone to you know kind of be fulfilled from and at the same time because the whole purpose was to create an equal level equal level playing field for everyone like we didn't get a chance to mm. it would hard it'd been hard it would be hard for you know a black dude to pull up to vogue and nothing against it but like just to show my photos you know what i mean it's like mm-hmm. what, hap- what what kind of where where's the you know where's the equal level playing field where equal equal mm-hmm. level playing field for us you know what i mean like where where's the yeah. space where where we don't feel like this pretentious ominous vibe that we want to show work and share work and there, it didn't really mm-hmm. exist so like with the magazine it didn't exist yeah it, it was it wasn't there like I, I didn't know where to go and i'm not saying it didn't exist but like Nobody told me. It didn't feel <laughs> welcoming. Right, right. Yeah, it exactly. didn't look like it was something that was for you. And so when y'all are thinking about kind of this brief and this pitch for for Street Dreams, it sounds like it came from a place of like, we don't feel like we have a, a publication that welcomes us. Is that what that sounds like? Yeah, 100%. That's what you're saying? 100%. Um, and like and and, all of us. Mm, mm, you know, that's like, an I'm important not just caveat. Talk, I'm not just saying like, just black people. I mean, like, black people, Spanish people, like Asian people, gay people, straight people, like, you know, purple, yellow, blue, like, and they, I want, mm-hmm. there, there needs to be something that was more of like a conscious effort and not into like the social metrics of how cool you are, but just more or less like the effort of how much do you love this? And there was nothing like mm-hmm. that for us. Everything, everything yeah. came down to followers all the time. And I didn't want to live in that world of just playing a game because mm-hmm. even a follow, you, we want to put people in a magazine because they have a bunch of, a bunch of followers. Like I'm not with any of that. It's all cap. Yeah. Tell me about uh, one. I, I love the thinking behind that, and I love how inclusive that uh, you and the founders were from the very beginning. Of just like we're not creating this to be exclusive. Like we're creating this because we need more of people that love this art form to be able to kind of share the stories that they tell, and then also to get away from this validation of these numbers and metrics and algorithms that get made up and and managed behind the scenes, right? And kind of control that. When 100%. you, um, you know, one thing I thought was interesting was that you, you all decided to go print. And I think uh, like there was an <laughs> article in like New York Times or something that picked yeah. up on street, uh, street Dreams and they were like, you know, taking Instagram to print. What, why not digital? What, what was the thing about like, why did y'all decide to go print? I grew up, you know, I grew up buying Game Informant magazines, Word Up magazines, uh, you know, Sports Illustrated, Sports Illustrated joints, Slam magazine, have a million Slam magazines, uh, you know, Pokemon cards. Uh, the list goes on, like actual video games, finals. The, what I'm getting at is like, it's tangible. Like I can physically, mm. like not only, it's, it's past the scrolling from my phone. Like there's no, it's, it's great to live in a digital world and like, you know, have, you know, no, like, you know, have use utilizing your phones and like you know the computers and all that kind of stuff. Like, like clearly, I love it as much as everybody else. I, I need we all need it now, you know. But <laughs> there, there was at a point that when you want to slow down and actually appreciate art, and it doesn't it doesn't belong. I feel like sometimes it just doesn't it it does it does a disservice that it's just on the screen, you know. It mm-hmm. wanted to be something where it feels like you open up a brand new comic book when you could just peel off the wrapping on the back of the comic book for the first time. You know what I mean? It has to kind of feel like that. It has to feel like the first time you're going through like 
the same magazine and you see the Kobe poster or something like that. That was the, the feeling that we were trying to invoke because there's a different level of appreciation and care when you print something out. It's just the, it's just the standard, you know? Um, and then what we wanted to make sure is that uh, to have that kind of, if there was any kind of game of validation that we would play, like I'll play the game of validated by actually printing, taking the time to print your work, opposed to just having it live in a digital uh, digital zine or, or, or NFT or like, the NFTs didn't exist at the time, but like, hmm. you know, it was just something like you needed something tangible, like, because all, right. when it's all said and done, like you could obviously you could upload it on digital. It will be there forever. And like, you could scroll on your phone, boop, boop, boop. But like, what, what did it feel like to get your first copy of Mario Kart 64? You know what I mean? Right. What did it feel like right. to get your first uh, X-Men comic book? Like that was way more important hmm. to me than the actual, just, you know, then the, just the consumption this digital of it. file it's the actual the, the yeah. tangible aspect is way more important yeah so when you're thinking about the first issue of street dreams i, I think i want to ask you kind of a two-parter here is what uh what overall did you think the magazine would be like uh you know consistently ongoing and then also what was the first issue about when we first started the magazine, like honestly, I don't have a college d- diploma, so that was like my diploma. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I completed something. Like this is it. <laughs> hmm. This is my name on it, and like we did this uh, together. Um, but the first, the first theme was uh, to make sure that we, you know, really show love to like you know the place that I, the place I lived my whole life. You know what I mean? Which is New York, mm. And, mm. and finding like the different photographers that. Uh, that I that I was shooting with in the streets back in the day, um, like me and Silva have been shooting together for a long time. I believe Silva's in one of the first, if not the first, he's in the first issue of the magazine. You know what I mean? So, um, Silva was like the dude who taught me how to edit photos. You know what I mean? Like he put me onto Lightroom. You know, hmm. so it would be a disservice to start an issue <laughs> without putting that man into it. Um, <laughs> and there was the same, and so it was the same thing with the the other people as well too. That was in that first issue. They just don't come to mind all the, uh, at the same at, at the time right now. But you know, everyone that was involved in that first issue were the the day one people that was there on the the conception of like everything that we spoken of um, of the community aspects that we really wanted to involve. Uh, you know, just understanding the contemporary art level that we're bringing to the table and. You know, there's some of it is fine art, you know, and fine art doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily, it doesn't need to be deemed fine art um, just by the, uh, by like these other museums sometimes. It could be deemed by the, the community of people that we all, you know, that we all love, you know what I mean? So that's the kind of microcosms that we were bringing into it, like, like to show love to like, to everyone and at the same time to pay homage to New York in that first issue. And then everything else uh, pretty much was amplified and monetized after that. Yeah. When you when you think about kind of that era when you were getting ready to launch, what do you remember about uh, kind of that journey and, and some of the response to when you were actually able to bring it uh, into a tangible sense and actually able to share it with other people? What was that initial response like? It was crazy. Uh, I will never, I would just never forget about you know, when we did the gallery at Reed Space, uh, issue three. Mm. And, and that's the, the Jeff Staples uh, space, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's Jeff, yeah, the Jeff Staples space, uh, you know, RIP Reed Space. Um, but, you know, that was, it was probably the one of the most important, if not the most important thing uh, to witness firsthand for myself because, you know, it's like, sometimes reading comments and you can feel, reading comments is one thing, you know, and, and seeing people <laughs> yeah. who are really receptive towards 
uh, what we were doing, but it doesn't feel real, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm always the kind of dude who thinks that nobody's gonna show up to the party. Like, ah, oh, nobody's gonna show mm-hmm. up, you know what I mean? Like, putting all this effort to like make pe- make sure people get there, they, you know, you just don't know if they're gonna show up. That respace event uh, got shut down in 15 minutes. You know what I mean? We had a line wrapped Ooh. three times around the block. Um, police came down, shut it down. And that's wow. when I was like, oh, this is real. <laughs> I mean, like, mm-hmm. this, is real. Yeah. This, this is real. You know, this is something that I uh, that I knew that I wanted to take time with. And all the principles in my life that working with people, not working for people, all of it started mm-hmm. to really, you know, really click. But that's when it really became real that, like, you know, this is something that's not just for us. It's bigger than me and it's bigger than anyone that's involved in it because now we've, we've been able to you know, create an ideology of uh, of kind of like a rebellious tone of like, this is how you should look at your work and unapolog- like un- being an unapologetic hippie in a way of like, you know, you, ha- you, should, you shouldn't feel bad about anything you're, that you're into or just share it as much as you can. Just make sure that you love it. And, and let's, let's all celebrate each other's W's because like, this is why we're here in the first place. You know, that's the only real lead towards progress in that. And, and it feels like every, that you know that kind of ethos and uh, is really was really getting to uh, getting to people at that time when we started issue three. Wow, man, uh, it's, it's it's phenomenal, kind of just to, to hear your even your ethos about behind like what you're doing and why you're doing it, and just you know getting beyond like some of the kind of material things, but also like just celebrating people collectively. Um, as yeah. as this process is happening, nothing happens without um, as planned, right? So I, I'm curious to know if there were like, were there like any sacrifices that you had to make along the way um, that you know you didn't think about maybe going and starting a magazine, but like just reality. Mm. <laughs> uh, I I um the first thing was like uh, my last real job was REI. That was the last that was mm-hmm. the last one I worked at REI on uh on Soho. I was like the only black dude selling tents, so it made no sense. Um but then I, I realized that I couldn't work at this job anymore because like, you know, I was selling a membership for people still, you know. And I didn't want to sell a membership for anybody anymore. But at the same time, you know, I really wanted to take my photography seriously. So uh when I got fired from that job, I told him thank you. I was like, man, honestly, like I can't do this anymore and I can't quit by myself. So I literally thanked the dude when he fired mm-hmm. me. And then wow. I, I did, then the next day, pretty much, or the next week, I had to like start sleeping on the same couch that's behind me, or well, not the same exact couch, mm-hmm. but in the same position. <laughs> um, I had to sleep <laughs> on my couch for eighteen months, you know, for like a whole year. Ooh. You know what I mean? So I had to sublet my room uh, to like some other weird dude who lived at, who worked at my job at the time. Um, <laughs> and then I had this weirdo in my room, and I had to sleep on the couch <laughs> for eighteen months. So you had to sleep on the couch while somebody was sleeping in your room, bed all. Co- I had to sublet it and all that, you know what I mean? Like you know, Jeez. and then I had to do that whole thing. And but then like as soon as I so decided to sleep on the couch and like you know do that, I got the we got the coach gig, you know, pretty much mm. like two months later. I didn't have a passport at the time, so I went from like sleeping on my couch <laughs> to having to go get a passport, <laughs> you know what I mean? All within that time, and like it, it was. A lot of like, you know, pretty much my whole life has been like a, like, you know, preparation towards like this time that I can actually enjoy and, and put the most output into it because it's, uh, you know, I definitely make light of these situations because, it, you know, I choose to be, but like this shit is not easy. Mm-hmm. You know, there is yeah. you know, a lot of uh, ups and downs and like just own physical things happening to me, uh, whether it's me personally, obviously getting mugged or like all the things that been happening with my family, like the older that I get. Yeah. So it's heavy but like a lot of it's a lot to to navigate it's a lot to navigate especially when you know 
uh, that you you kind of turn it into your own like I'm, I'm 34 years old now you know what I mean like it's, you turn it into I'm turning up to my own kind of patriarch and my own kind of family now so mm-hmm. it's like it's just different you know there's a lot of different things to yeah. consider I think one thing that uh, you had touched on there were things that are happening in your family and I think like I know like your career had obviously like gone to a different place like Street Dreams has continued to grow right you continue to get these different opportunities you've worked with Nike basketball you've worked with so many companies at this point through your love of your craft um and i i think like there was an accident that happened with your with your father right yeah so yeah so with um my pops yeah yeah it's kind of tough for him he um like uh it's like the two-year anniversary now he's uh he's still he's still around mm-hmm. honestly it's crazy but like my dad my dad um had uh four strokes last uh two years ago and he wow. started off with having like one of his strokes like in February 18th, I'll never forget. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, his first stroke, February 18th. And, you know, the, my pops is like, everything that I said about him earlier. Like, you know, he's the patriarch. He's the patriarch of my family. And also on top of that, like, he's, you know, I, I, I know everybody says that about their pops, but like my dad is really like, you know, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't put it into words, honestly. The, the mm-hmm. man, he, he really does it all, you know what I mean? And uh, it's painful, you know. It's, it's, it's like watching... Like Mufasa uh, get murdered over and over again. You yeah. know what I mean? There's really no yeah. other way to kind of describe it. And uh, right, it, it, it just uh, he, he's still here. Honestly, like he still survived like his four strokes. But like you know, the dynamic of everything that he was as a person, um, it changes. You know, and mm. I feel like it's my obligation to be like you know, I me my I have the same name as him. Like you know what I mean? Like so I mm-hmm. I feel like it's my obligation to make sure that I carry on like his uh you know his uh, his energy. I think. Not only what he does, like his energy is just really important to me. So then that's why I think, you know, a lot of the way that I move and, and how I treat people and, you know, how I'm, you know, always busting somebody's, you know, busting somebody's chops. That's my, that's my yeah. pops a hundred percent. You know, you can't walk mm-hmm. into a room with him <laughs> without him cutting on you and saying something like about you or something like that. But that was, always, yeah. he always just made, made sure that he sees you. You know what I mean? And that's the same thing yeah. that I do. Uh, with everybody else like you know i see you you know what i mean like i I appreciate your presence even if i'm like you know joking around with you it's just really important to me Mm. and you know thinking about your dad you know his his health has started to um you know it started to get his strength back a a little bit and i know you had um you went to tokyo for for the 15th issue uh launch of street dreams and i think you know right before covid and all that stuff was Mm -hmm. happening um, you you'd gotten an opportunity, right, to do a, a TED talk, yeah. Um, and I and, and I know a lot of that kind of centered around some of the some of the teachings that your father had passed down to you as you mm-hmm. had been growing up. Uh, what do you what do you remember about that experience and like how powerful that was for you in connection to your father? Uh, the TED talk in particular was, you know, it was one of those things that were. You know, since he can't like you know move around, move around like that, and like he really just can't move at all out the bed. My mom, if it wasn't for my mom and sister taking care of him, and you know all the people from, you know the church, and you know just making sure that they're okay, uh, I don't know how she would be able to do it because it, it's it's you know it's not easy taking care of uh, mm. uh, you know your husband who's suffered four strokes. You know what I mean? There's really no other way to put it. Yeah. Um. So though though that day of the TED talk, I mean. Even like I heard about the TED talk that I was going to get be able to do it in Tokyo, so I pretty much wrote hmm. the whole TED talk in Tokyo when I first, you oh, know, wow. heard it. I was so uh, I mean, that was like sleepless nights of me just like 
you know, smoking a million cigarettes and trying to write in on my notes. <laughs> uh, and just really stressing out and thinking about it because a lot of it, it was, it was A, I felt responsible for making sure that I, I say the right story for my family. And, uh, and, mm-hmm. and also, even if the TED Talk doesn't hit a million plays or like, you know, I'm not saying some crazy speech, like, you know, from Martin Luther King level kind of stuff. I want to make sure you could take, take home something that was actually tangible and, and uh, that has some kind of emotional value that it goes past anything I'm saying, what I was rambling about for the, the la- those last 20 minutes on that, on that TED Talk. So mm-hmm. nah, to mm-hmm. this day, I never, I've never, I've been able to do a couple of things in my life that have been pretty cool, but like I've never been as nervous and uh, nerve, like you know, just straight nerves and nerve wracking. Like I remember the amount of sweat I had on my back. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was, and I'm not a back sweat dude. You know what I mean? Not at all. Yeah. You know, I, it just all of a sudden just appeared out of nowhere. The two people I thought about was, um, a, I wanted my dad to be there really bad, uh, which you know hurt, but at the same time I knew that he, I, I grew up watching him doing public speaking, so I, I knew how I wanted to do it. You know, because my dad was an mm-hmm. excellent public speaker, and. Um, and the Kobe, you know what I'm saying? Like, I channeled that Mamba mentality as much as I can. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was, he just passed that year too. I mean, that was the same mm-hmm. year he passed. So, like, it was, it was just a lot of stuff that was, I was going on mentally. Soon as, soon as those lights hit me on the stage in front of those 500 people, that was, yeah, I'm a, I, I thought it was going to be like a deer in headlights kind of thing. But, you know, yeah. you know, it was like five, yeah, 500 people, TED Talk in the in middle of Jersey at Rutgers. And, and, uh, honestly, it's still to this day. I still get nervous. I'm, I'm just happy <laughs> that it's over because I still could wake up and have like little little moments like, oh, <laughs> like TED Talk. <laughs> yeah, I can yeah. just no. I know it's done. You know, I, and then I feel like honestly, I feel way more confident about just doing anything in general now because I, if I didn't pass out doing that and then I didn't make my mom mad, uh, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure I didn't do that. <laughs> you I can't do, do any bad. wrong at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me, you know, Steve, you've had such a you know a wonderful career thus far and. You know, honestly, in many ways, you may be just getting started. Uh, but when you you think about this journey that you've been on from a career standpoint, and you think of some of these these young creatives with uh, these entrepreneurial ideas, I'm sure some of them probably hit you up uh, mm-hmm. from time to time. What what advice would you give them for just starting out on this journey? Like, what what advice would you share? Uh, one thing is be cool. With your, always be cool with your family because that has a lot of that bleeds into everything that you do. I think is if you're not tight with your family, it would. I'm not saying like there could be things that is going on in your family that you have a reason not to be tight with some people, and I definitely understand that. I definitely have cousins like that too. <laughs> um, but I think it's really important to be tight with your family. I think that has a, a lot of uh, microcosms of how you're dealing with your business in general. Um, no matter what relationship you have, just make sure that you have a relationship first, uh, because that's if you. The way that you speak to like your brother, your cousin, your sister, your friend, your mother is going to be the way how you talk to someone else as well too. So I think that's really important. And I think another the thing that is important too is pick uh, to be make it simple. Pick three things you like. Like you know, I'm I'm really into black and white photography, uh, basketball, and you know, video games. And I pretty much made my whole life about those three things and monetizing them as much as I can. You know, and being able to do that, I've been able to really, you know, create like multiple Venn diagrams that all bleed in together. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. they all have something to do with my life and I don't have to make it the most complicated process. Like I don't need to write down a, a gajillion things. Like I just need to focus on three things that I like. And if I know if I like those three things that I could, I could 
make a web, if you will, of things that uh, how it could all connect together. So if you're really into portrait photography, like grass and like, you know, in orange juice, then I'm pretty sure if you do that enough, you will find something you will find a level of consistency in that that people would actually appreciate. You know what I mean? So I think those are the two things. Be be, uh, be cool with your family and find three things that you like and make your life easier. That was Steve Sweatpants Irby, photographer and co-founder of Street Dreams Mag, whose work ethic is truly like no other. Find out more about Steve and get access to all of our episodes at Apple Podcasts. Our show this week is produced by BJ Fergozo, original music, production, and scoring by Adrian Anaya, original music by Danny Castillo, Kinsley Barricatro, Orlando Kennedy, and vocals provided by Rosella. And special thanks also to VDOT, Professor H, Jordan Dinwiddie, Nick Pop, and Lily Lynn. I'm Bima, and you've been listening to Claim of Stories. 